Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know. I have a very special guest with me today who I, I, I shamelessly chased after to get him to come on the podcast. Welcome actor and producer Scott Bryce. Welcome, Scott. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are you today? Good. Be, thank you for asking. Uh, before we started recording, I started a little fangirling on you. Because uh, I said, I remember initially the first time I became exposed to to seeing you as an actor, although you were acting before this, uh, was The Facts of Life. You married yeah. Joe Polnicek on The Facts yes, of Life. I, yes, I did. The amazing Nancy McKeon. Um, yeah, I, right, I was doing the soap opera As the World Turns for a long time. And I was very fortunate in that show in that I was able to come and go almost at, almost at will until I finally got a series that uh, then they recast. So anyway, it was the first time I had left the show and it was about two weeks after I had left and my agents had said, you know, we got to see how it goes. I mean, understand also in those days, it's very different now. The big screen, you know, now the telephone is as important as a movie screen. But back then there were serious boundaries between each of the genres, daytime, primetime, and feature films. They were all enormous leaps, and daytime actors rarely got to primetime. It was very hard to break through. Primetime actors rarely get to film. It's very hard to break through. And I had two really lucky events with that. So anyway, two weeks after I had left the show, I get a call from my agent saying, would you like to do the facts of life? And I was like, gosh, that sounds like fun what's I didn't even know what the show was I mean I wasn't you know it wasn't really geared to me I said yeah that sounds like fun where is that thinking it's going to be down like you know lower west side or something as well it's in LA you're leaving next week on Monday I was like oh so next thing I know I've got a I I get flown out to Los Angeles they put me up in this hotel suite I can't quite believe what's going on I walk into the table read and I am greeted with this like roar from all the young girls because during the show, when they were in rehearsal, when they took lunch, they watched As the World Turns. So two weeks after I left the show was when the show aired that I left. And Nancy McKeon uh, had been, her boyfriend in the show had been George Clooney. George had just left the show. And Nancy said, bring me Scott Bryce. Oh next my goodness. Yeah, next thing I know, I'm on a plane and I'm on the show. And I must tell you that uh, Nancy and her entire family, her parents and her very sadly recently late brother, Phil, uh, welcomed me and treated me like family. I was brought into their home. I could, I could not express to you how wonderful and warm they were to me. The whole show, the entire cast... Nancy in particular and her family. They were just amazing. And so looking back, that was my lucky break. It's because they were watching As the World Turns. Well, I mean, you and you had great chemistry with Nancy for the part, honestly. I mean, it's seen her with different actors through the years. I was young, you know, every young girl loved Facts of Life. Uh, so I was a big fan. And I, I remember thinking not two things back at the time. One, I thought you had great chemistry with Nancy. And great. two, you had incredible comedic timing. Oh, thank you. There's this episode where you're with the, her father, of course, was the great, is the great Alex Rocco. Alex Rocco. Was the great, yeah, Alex Rocco, right. Uh, who is hysterical and has been in lots of parts. I think he played uh, J-Lo's dad, right, in Wedding Planner as well. Yeah. He's he's great at, at that's That's a good role for him, the dad role. Yeah. Uh, or and, a mafia guy. Well, the mafia guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't take that away. That's true. Uh, and you did an episode where he meets you for the very first time. And, you know, you are going to a costume party. You know, I assume it was Halloween. And, and she's dressed in a tuxedo and, and you're dressed in a dress. And that's yeah. the first way that he meets you. But what great comedic timing. Because you pulled it off as kind of like it was nothing. Like you didn't acknowledge that you were going to a party at all. I, just... I actually asked him to zip me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that dress was a Bob Mackie original. And it was made for Carol Burnett. And at the time, it needed no alterations when I put it on. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a lot thinner then. <laughs> and hey, you, you're one of the few guys who can say you, you wore a, a Bob Mackie original, right? I mean, Well, it's funny because when I first came to you know, the scene, I come down the stairs in it. And when I came down the stairs, they had me first in heels. 
And I came down the stairs and the producer stopped and the exec came over and said, he looks way too good in the heels. Let's get him <laughs> in sneakers. <laughs> so they put me in sneakers. I like to kind of soften the blow a little bit. I was like, oh, great. I got great gams. Okay, good. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you were, you were really funny in that role. And I, and I think you go down as, you know, uh, I can't think of the exact word, but kind of iconic somewhat for the role because that's how it ends, right? I mean, you're, you're in, I think the, the last season, you had several episodes uh, and you ultimately marry her. And yeah, then, we get married. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, we were right. like the centerfold of TV Guide that week. It was an uh, enormous deal. Right, and that's how they kind of send the character off, you know, yeah. married to you. So I, 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 you're, you're forever, in, you know, ingrained in the back of my head. But I would be remiss if I didn't talk about As the World Turns with you. Um, certainly the first, I think, big break you got uh, in terms of acting. The, oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I've been, been acting in theater and, you know, uh, going off to do summer stock and then coming back and driving cabs or waiting tables or delivering flowers. And, uh, you know, I'm multi-generational in the business. My, both of my parents were actors. My father was on As the World, uh, was on, well, actually he was on As the World Turns for a short time too. My mother, my father, my brother, my wife, and myself have all been on As the World Turns. But my dad was best known for The Guiding Light. Um, and then he had a show called Tom Corbett's Space Cadet, which was a science fiction show before that. And then my mother was an actress and producer. She's been on, was on all the soaps as well. Um, so yeah, it was, it, this. it's so interesting. Our son, our son now is a jock. And I remember when my parents came to see me in high school in a high school play where I did the ruling class and they came backstage after opening night and they were very somber and the show was incredibly successful and I have two older brothers I thought there was maybe something up and they kind of left I looked at my dad was I said was I okay and my dad said you were brilliant son we'll see you at home and I'm very confused I went to the cast party I left early because I thought there's something wrong and I came in the house and my mom my mom was sobbing in my father's arms and I walked in the door, I said, what's going on? What is it? And my mother looked up at me and said, we know you're an actor. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, oh my God. Well, anyway, that was like sort of the background. And then, yeah, I got As the World Turns, uh, cast by Betty Ray at the time. And the part uh, at first was sort of odd. They didn't know what to do with it. And then they began to write an incredibly complex character. And then the amazing late Doug Marland came in and became head writer of the show, one of the greatest writers of all time in that genre. And that character was so complex and so interesting. And I remember when I was playing the villain, I went to my dad and I said, um, what's your advice on playing a villain? And my father said, don't play the villain. Villains don't know they're bad guys. Fig figure out what it is you want. And it's your desperation that causes the mayhem. And that opened the door for who Craig Montgomery became because this incredible need for family and for love, but at all costs. And so he just laid waste to everything. And that was a really complex character. So some, a fan used to write me said, you're not the character we love to hate. You're the character we hate to love. <laughs> and I thought I like that, was, that. that was really great. Then they turned me, Doug Marlin turned me into like a hero with uh, the love stories with Sierra. Uh, then I left the show and then it was Facts of Life. And then uh, I, I married Joe on the Facts of Life. I had married Meg Ryan on As the World Turns. Right. You started with Meg Ryan, the young Meg Ryan back then. Right. That was the first wedding was Meg. And then I married uh, Joe on Facts of Life. I married uh, uh, Corky Sherwood, Faith Ford on, on uh, in... Um, Murphy Brown, Murphy that's Brown. right. And so, right, and then I married Annabelle Gerwich on TV Dad, and then I almost married Lisa Dara on a series popular we did years later. So I have, I want to get up in my office, all of my weddings, I have like five of them on television. <laughs> that would be pretty wild. Life, but yeah, yeah. You put like a YouTube video out each ceremony. <laughs> each, right, each wedding. But I, yeah, that was an incredibly lucky moment for me uh, to be able to get to primetime. And, and I didn't know how tough that leap was until I was in retrospect. And that's all because of Nancy McKeon. And I consider her a friend to this day. She's a, a wonderful, wonderful person. Oh, yeah. I'm still a fan. I watched it. I watched Dancing with the Stars when she was on, too. I'm voting for her and everything. Yeah. Me, too. <laughs> yeah. 
(laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, you bring up that you were on Murphy Brown as well. What was that set like? Crazy and fun. Um, (laughs) You know, Barnett Kelman was the director. Barnett had directed me and As the World Turns as well. I got to work with a group of remarkably talented actors, as you know. I mean, that scene, they were incredible. It was also a personal transition time for me because I am uh, 30 years sober as an al- alcoholic. And Congratulations. Was, thank you. Uh, although it's not actually an achievement, it's a surrender. It's a complicated thing, but it's, uh, I'm very blessed that that happened. And so the first few Murphy Browns, it was sort of like at the end of my drinking days. And then the last Murphy Brown I did, which was our divorce, was when I was really uh, sober. And then my career really started to move. And I was doing LA Law, uh, in a recurring role on that simultaneously. And then came 2000 Malibu Road, directed by uh, Joel Schumacher, which we called The B Show because everybody in it had a last name. It was B. It was uh, <laughs> Drew Barrymore, Jennifer Beals, Lisa Hartman Black, Scott Bryce, Brian Bloom. <laughs> and then it was Tuesday night. Um, so well, That's a great cast. That's some cast. Oh, it was, an ama- it was an amazing show. It was an amazing show. So, and that was a lot of fun. Well, and you're, I mean, I know you're, you know, you, you've been Emmy nominated. Uh, you've done, I can ski down the list of shows you've done recurring roles on. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think Law and Order you were on. Um, I'm trying to think Sex in the City you were in. I mean, Sex in the City, that had to be pretty interesting too. Sex in the City, I'm actually toxic bachelor number one. <laughs> I'm, the first, I'm the first guy. I happen in the, in the very beginning on this, you know the wonderful rich guy who schmoozes and charms this girl and then introduces her to his mother and let's go have an apartment. And then I vanish and ghost her. And that's sort of the whole, that was the whole opening. That opening took, I think we spent four days shooting the first, you know, five minutes of the show. And we just had an, that was an amazing time with the remarkably beautiful Sarah Winter, who I think I still have a crush on. Don't tell my wife. <laughs> did, did you know when you were filmed? Because that right back at, at that point when you were filming that, no one knew, you know, what Sex in the City was going to become. Could you tell? I mean, was the was the vibe there? Did you get I, I'd asked the same question to uh, Donnie most, you know, for the when he did the pilot of Happy Days. Like, could, could you tell, like, was the vibe there? Could you feel it right from the beginning? And he said he could. So I guess I'm uh, yeah, the same question it to you. For, it wasn't for me because, I, well, first of all, I wasn't set up to be a series regular. We were set up to be the setup of the show. Um, I will tell you that I'd be in the trailers in the New York, because we just that opening scene, we shot all over New York. And people would say, oh, what show are you doing? And I said, it's called Sex in the City. And they go, oh, God, and walk away. You know, and they were so offended. Oh, we're getting like the trash of television. This will be a disaster. So I didn't know. As opposed to like when I worked, David Schwimmer and I worked a lot together on many different shows. And then he got friends and he shot the pilot. And I said, how did it go? And he looked at me and said, I stepped in it, Scott. It's going to be huge. We're going to be running. For, it's huge. It's a hit. I know it. And it was. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, I think there are shows that when that chemistry happens and when it clicks, it becomes very clear really early. Um, but when you're on the periphery, it's harder to tell, you know. So, yeah, and I think, and you, if you would have been hard pressed to guess uh, that it would have been the success it turned out to be anyway. Yeah, it's a, mo- it's a monster hit, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's like iconic show of time, you know, so yeah. Speaking about iconic shows, talk to me about the Golden Girls. You were on the Golden Girls. Yeah, boy, I got to work with all of them. How fantastic was that? I had this tiny little part, Dr. Warren. Um <laughs> And B. Arthur, amazing. And boy, I got to just Betty White. I mean, Betty White. She was so, everything that you would think you wanted Betty White to be, she was. She was uh, remarkably bright and present. And all of them were so kind to me. I mean, understand, I was like, what? I was 20 something years old. I'm new in the business. It was a very tough line because I had to insult B. Arthur when I find out that she's made her mother move a sofa in order to get dinner. And that's how her mother got hurt. And I look at B. Arthur and I said, you disgust me. We ran on that like line five times to try to find a way to get a laugh out of it. And B was a little upset by it. And I was kind of backing off thinking, oh, am I offending somebody? And B turned and just grabbed my arm and said, this actor is wonderful. It's not his fault, but can we come up with a better line? And we never did come up with a better line, but that moment was so important 
to me just to have somebody in power, you know, and that's happened to me several times. When we get to the up close and personal story, I'll tell you about Michelle, what Michelle Pfeiffer did for me because it changed my career. So yeah, there's moments that happen like that where you, particularly in the moment, you're not so aware of how important it is. And then you look back and you think, wow, that she took care of me. They all took care of me. And I've never forgotten that. And to say that you were in an episode with that cast, I mean, that, that's got to be imprinted on your brain forever. I mean, yeah, I would yeah. think. Like, I'm so, my whole career has been so, I'm so lucky. I'm so blessed. This is a very difficult business. As my father used to say, this is a horrible business filled with wonderful people. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, so I've been more fortunate than I deserve, perhaps. Um, I've certainly been lucky and I've worked with amazing people who have taken care of me up, up close and personal. I might as well talk about it now. Um, again, I'd like to remember breaking through those things from daytime to primetime, from primetime to film. So the only reason I got an audition for up close and personal, where I play Rob Sullivan, a Miami anchorman, I'm not a very nice guy. And, uh, I was at a party in Ojai, California, and Rana Kress, who was the assistant casting director, was there at the party and looked at me and said, oh, I thought you were in New York doing the soap. I said, no, I left. I'm back out here again. And she was like, oh, huh, interesting. And then she left, and I didn't think anything of it. Turns out she went back to Hollywood and says to David Rubin, the casting director, what about Scott Bryce? They were having a hard time casting this part, apparently. They'd seen a lot of people. And he said, well, you can't get him here. He's in New York. And she said, oh, I bet I could get him here. I could get him here by in time for the lunch. And they made a bet. And so that's how I got even seen. So I walk in. I and love I audition, that. Right? I audition. David Rubin stares at me for like five minutes after I finished the scenes. And he goes, do you have an hour right now? And I was like, yeah. Next thing I know, I'm in a car driving over to Culver Studios. And I got to go meet John Abnett, the director. So then I read for John Abnett. John Abnett looks up at David and goes, okay, okay. And next thing I know, he sends me home and then I'm released from the film. Then I get a call. You're still on board. Then I'm released from the film. I was released five times. I'm finally back in New York, kind of given up. I get a call and it says, uh, John Abnett wants you at the table read. You don't have the part yet. And I'm like, oh my God. And which means it hasn't been cast. And they're going to start shooting very quickly. Now, in retrospect, I understand John wanted me, but I was television, not feature film. So the studio was resisting and he kept pushing. So now I fly out for the table read and I show up and I was the first one there. And John greets me and I put down my stuff on the table. It was an enormous, understand, like four giant, huge square tables with chairs because it's the entire cast head crew departments and all the studio heads. Enormous. So I put my stuff down the table and I go get some coffee and John's, you know, talking to me a little bit. And he walks away. He's busy. And Michelle Pfeiffer comes in and she puts her stuff down right next to my bags. So I realized that this is not where I should be. So I went over and I grabbed my bags and I slid them down several, you know, rows. And I went back and I get finished my coffee and then Robert Redford walks in. Now understand, I've been in this business. I'm four generations in it. I've met a lot of stars, but we're talking Michelle Pfeiffer and Robert Redford. Okay. So this is like, these are, I am, my mind is exploding. I mean, oh yeah. Hello, Michelle Pfeiffer. So now I watch Redford walk in and Redford walks over the table, hugs Michelle, puts his stuff down. And I look over and my stuff is now between back next to Michelle's and is now between Robert Redford and Michelle Pfeiffer. Now I know this is like the wrong place. So I run over and I'm about to grab it. And John Avnet, the director, his hands come down on mine and says, you sit where I tell you. And I went, oh my God. He sat me between Redford and Pfeiffer for the table read. I'd just be unconscious at that point. I mean, they would need some smelling sauce to bring me back. Right? So now I'm, in the, now I'm in the table read, comes our first scene with Michelle. We get, we connect right away, which is wonderful. And we get a good laugh on this setup scene. It's a joke about immigrants and, and he's such a racist pig and it comes out sort of at the end. And there's a laugh at the table. And I watched the head of the studio lean over to David Rubin and he went, who's that? 
And David Rubin goes, television. And he went, huh, and sat back and looked at me. So I still don't have the part. So now we finish the table read, say goodbye to everybody. John Abnett says, you got to hang, we got a meeting, then we're going to do a screen test with you. It'll probably be like at 11 o'clock tonight. Understand, I flew in from New York. I am fried. I'm nervous. I've just had the most amazing kind of actor experience one could have, Redford Pfeiffer. Oh my gosh. So now I'm sitting in the makeup uh, a trailer and they're doing my makeup and there's an older makeup artist, literally older, like 80, and her name was Fern. And Fern's doing my makeup. And then she asked me if I wanted eyeliner. And I said, well, I'm playing a news anchor. So I think, and this guy, I think he would. And so she goes, okay. So she grabs the pencil and she starts to do this eye. Now this eye, I have an involuntary twitch when anybody does eyeliner. It's not, it's not it hurts, involuntary twitch. She puts it on, I twitch. She stopped. She stares at me. She looks over at the call sheet. She looks at my name. She goes, Bryce, oh my God. I did your father's makeup for 20 years on Guiding Light. He had the same twitch. <gasps> and at that moment, my shoulders dropped and I knew I got this movie. I could feel it. So I went in, did the screen test. I was completely calm. The director of photography came over, shook my hand, said, great job. Um, I'm not supposed to tell you this, but I'll see you Monday. And <laughs> he walks out. Um, then comes my first day of rehearsal. And I got a phone call that said, go park over at the Sony lot and then make sure you get a car ticket for that and you know, blah, 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 we'll, we'll validate it for you. And then you take the crew bus over and you'll come through security and we have a honey wagon for you. For the, now, for those of you who don't know, honey wagons are very, very, very tiny dressing rooms in these trailers. And so I'm not complaining. I mean, I'm working with Redford Pfeiffer, you know? So facts of life, I wouldn't be in a honey wagon, but this is fine, my first big feature. So I go into work and we sit down, we start working. And literally this is Tuesday. It's John Abnett, Robert Redford, Michelle Pfeiffer, and Scott Bryce. That's the rehearsal for an entire day. I am in blissful, unbelievable heaven. And then the PAs come in and they put down coffee for Redford, Michelle, and John, and they start to turn. And Michelle Pfeiffer goes, excuse me? And it was like that. There was a sharpness in her voice, which you never hear. And people froze and somebody turned and yes. And Michelle said, I believe you forgot coffee for my co-star. And then Robert Redford goes, Scott, here, take mine. I've had enough coffee. And I went, oh, Bob, no, thanks. And I'm thinking, oh, Bob, no, thanks. <laughs> and then, and then now panic starts and these ADs come over and go, what, what do you want in your coffee? You want anything to eat? How do you like your coffee? And I'm like, no, just a black coffee would be really great. And then they leave. And as they're walking away, Michelle goes, never let that happen again. And no problem. And then we go back. We went back to work. We worked in, all day. About lunchtime, right after lunch, the first AD, now, you know, I was talking to PAs. Now the first AD comes over to me and starts asking me for my ticket, for my parking ticket and my car keys. And I'm in the midst of rehearsal and I'm sort of like not even sure what he's saying. And I just kind of grab it. You give it to him because I'm an actor, the ADS or something. You do it, right? And I go back to work. At the end of the day, we're all signing out. And as we sign out, Michelle goes first. At five o'clock, she was gone. She was a mom, young kids then. She left. Redford shakes my hand. We have some other contacts. He knew my parents for some other stuff. And then uh, Abnet leaves. And then the AD says to me, now, will you be requiring limo service or would you like to drive your car? And he points. And my car is now parked next to a star trailer that is parked next to Michelle Pfeiffer's trailer. Wow. And I, was, I looked up, I said, I, I, I'll drive my car. <laughs> And later my agent yelled at me and said, you should have taken the limo. They'll never take that away once you take the limo. <laughs> so like, don't ever do that. All because Michelle Pfeiffer said, I believe you got forgot coffee from my co-star. Wow. So her and Fern, ability- and, and we got to thank Fern too, right? <laughs> yeah, and Fern. And just, but also that a, a mega star like that would just have that sort of, it was the amazing use of power to lift someone up. Up. It wasn't the ego and it wasn't arrogant. It was lifting me up. And I will never forget that. And I have always, because of those moments, 
I try to pass that on whenever I'm working with new actors, directing new actors, producing new actors, to try to remember that and to treat people the way I was treated, that, that opened doors for me that would not have opened without that. Well, that's an amazing story. And really to have, uh, uh, to be validated and embraced that way. And again, that's not a story many people can tell. And at, the, at that level, I mean, certainly you're at the height or the pinnacle at that point um, of, of you can't really get much better than being in a, a movie with oh, uh, Robert Redford. I mean, there's no place really to go from there. Hey, where do you go from there? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> like, I'm done, like, right? Like, so, I can uh, retire happy now. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, wow, that's some story. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, and maybe you've already told it then, but I was going to ask you what your most memorable uh, scene that you've ever filmed in your career was like something I remember filming that scene it'll be with me always wow um, there's so many little ones I mean there's like me attempting to rape Drew Barrymore because I thought she was a hooker <laughs> there's like uh, that's how our characters met on 2000 Mile the Road um, laughing with Brian Bloom I mean there's so many things that happen off camera uh I would say what resonates with me most is that my, my parents created a show for our church called The Bible on Broadway, based on a book of the same name. And my mother took scenes from Broadway shows, scenes and songs that had to do with religion. So it was Martin Luther and Jesus Christ Superstar and uh, all those kind of shows mixed together. And my brother and I uh, were in it. And we did uh, Nichols and Zeus from JB. Uh, my mother sang, my father sang, my, my brothers and I did, and we would do these vignettes and then we wound up touring it. And that was a remarkable experience. And then my father and I did Mass Appeal together, which is a two character play about an older priest and a younger priest. I'm not a Catholic, but doing the play was being on stage and seeing that, looking into my father's eyes and playing a scene with him and he was a different character. And there we are on stage and I'm, the characters are on stage and yet the son is above it, watching himself on stage with my father in the same trade that we've now doing. And I'm the next generation that's coming into it. So those moments, and then doing On Golden Pond, where my wife, Jody Stevens, played the daughter and my mother and James Noble played the parents and I was the boyfriend. And there were times I'd be off stage in the wings looking at my wife playing a scene with my mother as mother and daughter. And those are moments that are just, they're almost mythical in terms of how they feel. I mean, the, the love, the, the miraculousness of it, the beauty of it, and the sure. power of the theater of it. Sure. I mean, and on Golden Pond, I mean, again, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when I realized what theater was, I mean, I grew up in the business and my dad was a soap star and all that other stuff. But uh, I watched him in New York. I was sitting in the lighting booth and he was doing a man for all seasons. And he does this unbelievable speech about the law. And would you cut down the law to get to the devil? And he says, I cut down every law there was. And he goes, ah, and when the wind turned on you, where would you hide? And I was remembering sitting in the booth watching this and the audience was silent. And I was watching my father as this, you know, antiquity, a character from the, to my young boy, like ancient. And I saw the power of theater as church, the power of theater to elevate us. And that it all counts. Laughing at facts of life is really important and really valuable. But there's also this other opportunity that we have as, as artists that we can make people think, we can make people be inspired, and we can elevate and reach for something higher. And I think that's what art does most successfully. It's reaching for something that's beyond the base and the banal and the survival and the anger and the rage, that there's something else and that we can try to go for it. I think our world is witnessing it now. Uh, the metaphors with Russia and Ukraine are powerful. And as horrible as this is, the unification of our planet in response 
is amazing. My dad would talk about uh, when I was young and he would say, you know, in live theater, the audience is a character and you have to know when they become that character. And if it's a good play, they'll become a character. And if it's a really good play, they become a character early. He says, you can hear it. And I'm like, really? He goes, no, you can hear it. You've got to listen for it. And so I began to do that. And you think about this miracle of the theater, these people that don't know each other from all different kinds of walks of life, all different backgrounds, move into this room, the lights get turned off, we're watching other people. And then something happens. We start to laugh at the same thing. We get moved by the same thing. We cry at the same thing. We're jolted by it. We clap for it. And indeed, the audience becomes a character that the actors on stage work with. There's a give and a take that comes back and forth. And yet that unification of that audience into one being, that's like the miracle of the art of performance to me. That's storytelling. That's when we all resonate together and we go, yes, there's something we're all sharing and we can, we're in this together, this ride for good or bad. Wow, that's, that's a really beautiful way to put it. Um, I mean, this is a great time, I think, for me to ask a question that I'm, I'm always fascinated. I get all different answers to it because I believe that the creative process is very collaborative. And I've said it several times before, right? There's the writer and has to, who has to write great material, but the actor who has to breathe life into, you know, the paper version of that character. And often they bring their own uh, little nuances to the character that really make that character who they are. Uh, and then there's the cinematographer who knows the right, you know, the right angle, the right way to come at the scene. There's the editor who knows the right cut to pick when putting it together. I mean, by the time the viewer is seeing the end result, there's been so many hands in making this creative project. And I guess I, I'm fascinated by how creativity works for creative people. When you get a new script or a new character you know you're stepping into, what does the process look like for you? How do you create? I mean, do you just, uh, do, do you meditate, you know, beforehand? Do you see the, the person as you're reading it and you develop it? How does creativity work for you? Uh, well, it's sort of different uh, depending on what my job is. Um, as, a, as a writer, and this, is, this, may, be, uh, this may cause back, backlash, but I'm not even sure we create anything. I think we channel. I have found, I just finished a script. Uh, it's a comedy script. It's going, moving very, very quickly actually called The Guild. And the, the quick elevator pitch is it's Galaxy Quest for Mobsters. And it's this bizarre comedy with like, you know, all these insane characters. And as I was writing this, it started as a joke. I had this chuckle of an idea. I shared it with Arnie Mazur, this actor. He laughed, he calls me four hours later. He goes, do you have a treatment? I mean, what are you talking about? He goes, well, I just told that little giggle at brunch and these producers who want to see the treatment. So I banged out a treatment in like four days and I don't even know what I was doing. It just sort of came. Next thing was, when's the script? And now we're actually budgeting and raising money. We've had a, re a Zoom reading of the script with 16 actors that all came on board. No one said no. Everybody loves it. And as I was writing and I've written a bunch of scripts, but on this one, I would ask the characters what it was they should do or say. And they told me, and then I would write it down. I'd be like, Cheryl, you're, you've got to get away from these bad guys. Where would you go? She goes, I'd go to the ladies room, flip around my coat, put on a scarf on my head, put sunglasses, come out, find some other people I don't know, pretend I do and leave with them. I'm like, that's brilliant. And I'd write that <laughs> down. So, you know? And that's sort of how that happened. Um, as a director, it's about, and again, it's, it's stage or film, they're, they're so remarkably different, but what's my palette? What's my picture? How am I telling this story? Uh, there's an arc to this general story. How do I focus that? And how do I make that resonate? As an actor, my job is to serve the script and to serve the idea. So what's the script? What's the meaning of the script? What's the arc of this character? And, and again, I'm talking about if this is writing of quality. If I don't know what the character is, I have to go do research. I have to go, what does a lawyer, what does a lawyer go through? What does a lawyer who works with divorce cases, what stress goes on that person's body and mind? And how does that affect me in the scene with my wife? Yes, because it's here. 
And so when she asked me for the coffee, yeah, I got it because it's not about her. It's about all that stuff. And so you find out where the challenges are for the human and then try to connect with the human. And then it's, you know, the Stanislavski, what if, what if I was a lawyer stressed out of my mind in a difficult, challenging marriage, and I've got all this stuff and I've got all this stress. What if, what would I be? I can't be someone completely else. I can take the essence of who I am and project that into someone else. And when that someone else starts to get rich through rehearsal, eventually the character takes over the actor. And then I allow that character to step forward. And it's not like sickness psychosis because I can watch it happen. It's not like I'm losing control. I actually can allow the character to fill it. And so eventually I know what my character would say. And then learning something isn't a problem. I know what my response will be to you because now it's my response because I know what my history is. So I always ask young actors that I teach, the most important things to me about a scene are, where are you coming from? What are you bringing? What just happened to you? How'd you get here? How was your morning? Did you eat? Have too much coffee? Where are you before you enter? And then where are you going? And where are you heading to? And what's your plan? The scene is the interruption of those two things. And if you have that, when you come in, you bring with it history. And then the scene changes you. And if that happens, now we're witnessing good theater. Now we're witnessing characters go through something. And as they do, an audience will open it up and then it happens to them. Have you noticed? You watch something amazing and you feel it. You felt that love scene, you felt that. It's, it's, wow, it's so funny you say that. I, we had um, Crystal Chappelle on, um, we, we recorded her last week, and I, I, we were talking about a scene that she had done uh, on Guiding Light uh, where she's literally had a, an emotional meltdown in the scene. Uh, she's, she's crying, she's yelling at this, at this building, but I mean, she, she literally just has a meltdown on screen. And I said, I can remember seeing that scene and, and feeling you know, empathy, real incredible empathy for your character. I said, and and it took a, it took a few minutes before I realized, hey, you know, they call cut and she went about her day, right? But I was so sucked into the scene that I, I literally felt that experience with her. Right. And that's because she was there. And understand that wasn't happening to her. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, for us as actors, we, we do suffer what our characters go through. And then we need to allow that to dissipate. And so they say cut, and now I'm Scott again. But Craig just found out his wife died. Not only did Craig just find out his wife died, but the stage manager said the executive producer wants to talk to you right after the scene's over. <laughs> so you've got multiple things are going on. And then you've got to deal with that. So uh, it gets easier the more you do it. Because for me, I work again, I work in a method way with sense memory. And it's all about filing it away. And so the more I work, the more I experience, the more I do, then it's just tapping into that. And eventually that access can get very, very quick. And so the actor doesn't have to work so hard. The actor has to open the channel and go, yeah, I need this one from column A, one from column C, and he's all stressed out from column D, let's go. And then that fills the, the what if, what is this moment? Who is this guy? And understanding, don't play evil, because that's this. Don't play good, because that's only God. You have to play us, which is the complex, flawed people that we are trying to do the best we can. Perfect. Perfect. I've never heard it quite put that way. That really is, is a cinematic genius. So great actors, you know, great actors you can watch doing Hitchcock said, somebody said, what's a great movie star? And he said, somebody who can do nothing really well. And the first time I heard that, I was so offended by it. 
And years later, as an older, mature actor, I totally get that. It's if you can be present, still, not moving, and full, it's riveting. And that's great. That's like a great actor. You look up, what, what's that? You know, Denzel Washington? Oh, my God. Uh, without barely moving, he moves so minor. It, the stillness, but it is so deep, so full, so rich, so much history that you are compelled to watch it. Sorry, I interrupted you, Tom. No, no. I, I mean, I, I think what you said is, is, is like I said, it's kind of cinematic genius. Um, creating, I think, and everybody has something different. Like we talked to Matthew Dix, he's a writer. And he said, I never plan my novels ahead of time. I just can't. I can't write like that. You know, other people can write and they sit down, they put an outline, they kind of figure out where the story's going. He said, I can't, the, the characters talk to me. And that's right. the most comparable exactly. thing that like you, like you said, you know, uh, he starts out, he said, I, I, I have an idea of something I observed maybe 10 years ago, or my wife said to me 10 years ago when I was filed it away, like that would be a great story. And then when I sit to write, I let the characters take me there. And even, you know, he, he, he tells a story where he, he's, I'm in the middle of writing, my wife calls and I say, wait, I, you know, I have to call you back. I'm about to find out like what, what this, you know, what he does. And she says, what do you mean? What are you going to have him do? And he says, I don't know yet. Like he's oh, yeah. telling me, like he's, <laughs> <laughs> like, right. I gotta go. I gotta go find out what he does. Does he, you know, does he, does he go? Does he not go? Uh, and, and I think that's the most comparable answer I've ever gotten to the one you gave me now. Uh, but I, I can't imagine being in that space that space, I think that's fascinating. And I think probably the, some of the greatest creations must come from that. Well, I mean, I, this last script, I've, and I've worked on scripts I've worked on that have almost gotten made into movies twice. I mean, the, the, the amount of effort I put into it and this one wrote itself. I mean, there's like 38 drafts, you know, but it just, it, but it just kept, doing it and ever whenever I tried to impose myself onto it 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 didn't work and whenever I backed off and and let me tell what are the characters going to do and they've become so rich and so funny and so specific and uh and they yeah they eventually fill out and they tell me I understand what that writer said entirely I've got to go find out what they're going to do I yeah. get it I love that yeah so you have a few other projects. I mean, I want to get to everything you're doing now, but you have a few other things I want to touch upon. I know you did a Beacon Hill with Crystal, Crystal Chappelle. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I can't, I mean, you know, Hillary Bailey Smith was in it. I mean, Hillary Bailey Smith played my sister on As the World Turns. I can't say no to my sister. <laughs> she was one of the producers. Um, and Crystal, I have great respect for. Um, what she's managed to carve out, you know, People think web series are easy. They're not. They're as complicated as doing a TV show. There's the fact that there's less money just makes it twice as hard. Um, it doesn't make it easier. But she is a producer, director, and uh, and has a theatrical work ethic that I knew that I could trust. This it's not going to be bad. Um, and she's I, a trailblazer in the web series genre. Oh, I absolutely see her as a trailblazer. Yeah, absolutely, and has been really successful at it, and is continuing now. They're shooting now. The shooting stuff in Los Angeles as we speak with Hillary Bailey Smith, my partner, <laughs> on a different show. Um, yeah, she's got like Gotham and series that have been running a long time. And that's very impressive. It's like if a restaurant stays open for more than a year, it's really impressive. And Crystal's been able to pull that up. So yeah, for me, it was a blast. I had, I loved playing the part. It was, uh, he's a tormented guy. He's a conservative, right wing, uptight, you know, homophobe who's got a gay daughter who's running as a liberal Democrat. I mean, talk about torment. And that's fascinating, that tension between I love my daughter and I hate what's happening. And that was sort of, that was kind of fun. And you did a show with Whoopi Goldberg too. I did a couple episodes with Whoopi on the Whoopi show where I played uh, George Bush's campaign manager in, uh, in New York. So obviously we were our characters are not simpatico. But yeah, I had a lot of fun uh, on that show with Whoopi. That was really fun. 
we is she really funny? Fun. I imagine she's funny in real oh, life. Oh, absolutely funny and 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 kind. And we, you know, we we would work out comedy bits together in terms of timing, like doors opening. We added stuff that would work. And she was, you know, on the fly, ready to ready to jump in on the fly. You know, it's when you're working with professionals, when you're working with people who've been doing this for a little long time, it's sort of in some ways it you're in the team already, you know what to do. And if you've had any kind of background in theater or improv or comedy, and you meet a, a, a like person, it's like, you know, friendly dogs meeting at the dog park. It does, they've been best friends forever <laughs> as soon as they get together. So yeah, Whoopi was like, it was amazing to work with her and a lot of fun. The whole show was great. It was really fun and it shot in New York. So I love that. And 30 Rock. I am probably, I think I'm the only actor who's played two different characters on that show. Uh, Tina Fey would never allow that. She would say, no, 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 they, no. But I, I've actually played two different characters. I was the, uh, the cable guy uh, <laughs> talking about sex and television, how other people generate it, and we just click through and make money. And NBC doesn't do anything. And then the wonderful Selma Hayek that I got to work with um, when her father, right? It was, or, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've worked with some extraordinary people I'm wonderful I, again so much gratitude I'm, I've had a remarkable career that's not over it's still going and still changing and still evolving now and I know now you're involved with a non a nonprofit uh, organization working on theater for education of new uh, new and up-and-coming actors yeah uh, I serve I'm on the board of directors of the new paradigm theater and we can be found at mptheater.org. And we are a not-for-profit 503C, whatever it is, uh, not-for-profit theater. And we bring education, theatrical education into the inner cities uh, in Connecticut, like Bridgeport, Norwalk, et cetera, to places that don't have it, the systems that can't afford it. And again, we're not out to create thespians. That's not what I try to do. Uh, we are trying to create problem solvers and global thinkers and people that can think out of the box and people that can learn how to teamwork and together and create things. And we do a lot of alternative casting. The first show that we did, we did Oliver, uh, the, the, the famous musical, sure. but, we, but we updated it. And so we set it in modern day Bridgeport. Uh, Paul Bogave, who's a Grammy winner and Tony winning uh, musical director, updated the score and made, gave it a hip hop edge. And Maria Cherniski came in and gave hip hop choreography to it. And it all became about a credit card scam. That was Fagan's voice. And Oliver was black and Nancy was Spanish and, and the Arful Dodger was transgender. And when Jennifer Beveridge, who played Arful Dodger, came in and she said, is that like a sex thing? And I said, no, 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 no. You're way safer as a boy on the streets. So you demand that people treat you like a boy. She was like, oh. And what was so wonderful about that show, first of all, wonderful and sad, Dickens is still with us those problems are still here. The poverty is still here. The homelessness, the lack of education, the gangs. Um, then the amazing part of it was to watch our kids, youth that were both from incredibly privileged towns like I'm in, you know, uh, Weston, and then working with more kids who are far more economically challenged, two different cultures, coming together and working together as a team and finding out how to do that and watching that bond happen with all of them and the learning experience from both sides and the friendships that were formed. Then we partner with another not-for-profit because we don't believe in competition. We believe in cooperation. We don't believe that the not-for-profits should be chasing after the same dime. We believe we should be all cooperating with each other and it will come in. And so for that particular show, we uh, partnered with the uh, Bridgeport Council of Ch Churches and their soup kitchens. And our entire cast had to go work in the soup kitchens once a week. And so we were delivering food to like these people. My son uh, at the time, is still, well, he's still my son, but at the time was probably like 10. And he came in and was serving and he had these four kids come in. And I watched him and he was so, he was kind of shooken up a little bit when they left. And I said, what is it? You okay, Jackson? He went, they were so nice. They were so polite. And, and they and probably grateful. didn't have any and grateful. And he saw that from a different perspective. And that opened his heart and opened his mind. Uh, since then, we've done numerous shows. We've done uh, Peter Pan. We've done Bye Bye Birdie. 
I directed The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was huge because we we opened up the the gargoyles are normally voices in the choir. So we had a 13 member choir. We had a 14 piece orchestra. We had the usual adult ensemble of 12 plus the five leads. And then we brought in our youth and we brought in uh, youth that were on the spectrum to work with them, the autism spectrum. And they became the gargoyles. So instead of the choir doing it, we actually created these characters. These kids were all wearing gray and they all made their own gargoyle masks. They got to design them and go make them in workshops so they get taught how to do that. We do a lot of breakout workshops during the rehearsal for more than just we're doing the show. Um, these gargoyle masks were then put on and I had parents weeping in my arms because when the mask went on, the fear of connection of a lot of the autistic kids went away. And they were able to communicate with the audience and look right at them and look at each other. There was a protective layer. And so the gargoyles would all move on stage and told, uh, with Quasimodo, who was uh, played by the remarkable actor Patrick Toombs, who himself has challenges. His legs never grew. And so he has these like intense braces and he can barely walk. And he's a remarkable talent, beautiful voice and they would resonate with him. They saw him and his challenges and heard about how he, he had just been insulted on the subway the first day of rehearsal when he came up and he shared that with them. And to watch them connect, it was for us, it's all about connection. So when the show goes on, then the gargoyles are moving until an adult comes in and then they freeze as gargoyles. And these kids would hold for like 11 minutes. And then the adult would leave and they'd move again. It was breathtaking. It was beautiful. So in that show, our partner care was the Burns Foundation because we felt it resonated with Quasimodo. And so we wanted to have some kids who had been badly disfigured to be in the show. And we couldn't make that happen, but we wanted to. So since then we did uh, Footloose, Bye Bye Birdie. This year we are doing Disney's The Little Mermaid. Oh. And we are partnering with the Norwalk Maritime Aquarium and their educational outreach program. And so we're gonna be going out into Long Island Sound and pulling plastic and garbage out of Long Island Sound. And with that garbage, we're gonna be creating our sets, our costumes, and we're gonna be building everything based on the plastic and the trash that we pull out, both as a, an, an educational tool to show people what's happening and how we can help stop the pollution, but also to make a metaphor that from problems we can make solutions. I love so that. So that's what we do. I love that. Can you tell us how people can learn more about it or get involved? Yeah, if you go to mptheater.org, uh, we've got everything right there. It tells you who we are, uh, who's on the board, what shows we're doing. You can see video of a lot of the events that we do, our Christmas shows, our all sorts of stuff. Um, so please do that. And I'm very yeah. proud of the organization. I will put, I also put a link up uh, below the uh, video on YouTube uh, oh, that, you. you know, people can check it out. It's worthy of your time and I encourage everyone to check it out. Could you tell, could you tell us before I let you go, what are your projects right now? Well, I've got that. So we're doing, I'm also going to be creating a documentary. Uh, I, I produce documentaries as well. One of the things I do. So I'm making a documentary about our connection with the aquarium, about the work that we're both doing, about the educational outreach that we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be bringing entertainment uh, and education to uh, senior citizens' homes, to veterans' hospitals, to all sorts of things during the process of rehearsal. Then I will document the actual performance. I'm doing another documentary at the uh, Wakeman Nature Preserve up in Rhode Island to do a small study of uh, the wetlands that connect Connecticut and Massachusetts and Rhode Island and how they've been protected because people think they're trash, they're swamp. And that has protected our water because they're far more than a swamp. They are the filter. There's what cleans our water. And so Bob Wakeman has hired me to do a documentary about that. I have a film in development, a, horror, a thriller film uh, with my wife. And then I've got The Guild which is now in rapidly developing. So I'm just putting together the budget now. We're going to go out to get financing and 
hopefully that will be shooting maybe end of summer if all goes well. I've already got half the cast and any actor I approach uh, says, reads it and loves it. I, I sent it to A. Martinez. A and I did, uh, he was a series regular on LA Law back in, was a recurring role on that. And I wrote a role that was just, it was always him. And I just, on a whim, I sent it to him. And I didn't know if I'd hear from him. And five weeks went by and I thought, oh, he's not going to respond. And then he wrote back, apologized, said I couldn't read it. I was just finishing a movie. I just finished it. I love this. I'm in. Tell me what I can do. And that's like the responses I'm getting from every actor. They laugh out loud reading it. Everybody's laughing. My, I said to my, uh, my, my entertainment attorney, and he was, who's usually very, you know, hard pressed and knows this is impossible to do. And he read it, laughs. He goes, all right, we got to do this one. We just got to do this one. <laughs> like, okay. So those are my focuses. And now the business is coming back. Um, I, I was able to, I've been very lucky. My last three jobs have been offers. I did not have to audition. And my wife said, that's because you're so brilliant. And I said, no, that's because COVID and nobody wants 25 actors coming into a room. So they're all thinking, who could do this? I know Scott Bryce. So I did a Hallmark movie, uh, uh, Redemption in Cherry Springs up in, in Newburgh this summer. And then I did a, uh, an FBI and a Law and Order. And then I did a, just did a Blacklist. Uh, which was really fun because James Spader and I were next to our neighbors in uh, Los Angeles back in the like the 1990s. So that was like a little mini reunion. Um, so yeah, it's been nice to get back to work. It's nice to have that happening. And uh, yeah, I'll be looking forward to all of this. I hope you'll come back and maybe, you know, when you're starting to film the Guild, maybe give us some spoilers and some fun. Absolutely. It'd be my pleasure to. I mean, once you sent me here, I got to tell you, I, I, there's, um, there's something about you I felt connected to and I respect and admire you. I loved what you sent me, the interviews. I thought it was a great way of approaching you. And I, yeah, so you're, you're on the list. Let's, let's put it that way. That'd oh. be great. I, you probably sensed that I was a, a longtime fan. <laughs> well, I was very honored to hear that from fact to life. Holy cow. Yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say that was the first time, but I have followed your career after that. I didn't know of you from days of, you know, from uh, As the World well, Turns. Turn. That was the first place I saw you. But then you, you made a lifelong fan. Like once I kind of fell in love with you on that, I followed you, you know, after that and, and a lot of the stuff that you did. So I was Thank familiar you. with, with a lot of other roles that you played, but that was the first one for me. So in my mind, you're forever, you know, married to Joe Polnicek. Like that's the, that's how I guess I see you. In, initially. I will be a forever fan of Nancy McCann. And uh, she was, she's an extraordinary woman and her family has been amazing. And, She's lost now her father and really tragically, sadly, her brother, Phil, um, which is too bad because he, he also particularly went out of his way to make me feel comfortable and at home. They literally opened their home to me. I mean, it was, uh, I will never forget that. Sure. And he was an actor as well on, uh, he was on yeah. Alice. He played the yeah. son on Alice yeah. uh, and, and many other projects. So. Yeah, he 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 was a very good actor. I'm yeah. sorry. I think your your profession did lose, uh, you know, one of the good ones when he passed, and I was sorry to learn of his passing. I I used to read that you know he and his sister were very close. So. Very close. Yeah, very close. Uh, and and again, I still remain a big fan of hers. So I do think, uh, I, I do think I will forever see you in that light. But I do love everything you've done. I think you're an amazing actor. And after talking to you now, incredibly engaging uh, in terms of your level of creativity and the like. So I'm going to be carefully watching, and I and I invite you to come back. I definitely want to hear the behind the scenes stuff when you start, you know, filming your new project. Well, yeah, as soon as we get financing in place, I'll let you know. And then we get a schedule. And uh, I, the, the movie was written to be shot up at Umbra Studios in Newburgh. So if that happens, I'll let you know and come over and visit while we're shooting. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love right. to. Thank you. Thank you kindly. You're very kind. And on that note, I'm going to say we're going to end goodbye and that we're going to end the, uh, the interview now. I will put links up so that you can find uh, Scott easily on his social media and, uh, and links to the projects that he's working on, the theater uh, project, which is a, a very interesting. I took a look myself before talking to him. It's not only interesting, it's heartwarming. It's a way to be involved. It's making a difference in the world. So please check it out. All right. Thank you, Scott. Thank you.
Thank you, Tim. Bye, everyone.